Amen. So this is a series about maturing in the faith. We are going to go through Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 3. And uh, there in chapter 6 is the list of six things, six foundational truths that we want to grab a hold of. But let's read through our text that we're going to be going through, and then we will uh, start to dissect it. So Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. Now, have you ever read something in the Bible that seems a little, has a little emotional content? We're going to read some verses that seem a bit irritated, a little bit frustrated. And the frustration is over the maturity level of the believers. Now, Hebrews, it just sort of starts, you know, the Chapter 1, verse 1, it just sort of gets going. There aren't the salutations and from this person to that person. and So we don't exactly know, but it's to the believers and specifically to the Hebrews. There's a lot of talking about the transition from Old Testament to New Testament and things of that nature. But the expectation of the writer of Hebrews and the Holy Spirit through the writer of Hebrews is that these people should be farther along than they are. They should be more mature. But they aren't. And so you'll see a little, you know, what I think is a little irritation in the Bible. Hebrews 5, verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. So earlier in the chapter, trying to explain some of the deeper things of God, and then the the exclamation, I'd love to keep talking about this, but you're not going to catch it anyway. And so... (laughs) (laughs) have you ever been there? I feel like this is a place I've been where there are things of God that I know I don't see. There is the power of God that I know I haven't grabbed hold of. And I would love to, but I need to shore up some of the simpler things. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Are you sensing the irritation? You're you're old, but we have to feed you formula. What's going on here? And the word that's, I think, really important here is the word ought. Ought implies that it should be different than what it is. You ought to be teachers. You're not able to advance the kingdom of God. You still need people to help you when you should be in a place to help other people. You ought to be teachers. But you need someone to teach you. So not only aren't you a teacher, but you're going to use up the teachers because you need to be retaught. You need to go through elementary again. You feeling encouraged by this? This was written a long time ago to other people by someone else. It's not my idea. All right, here we go. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we want some solid food that is for the mature. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And then here comes a list of six things, six foundational truths that if we can stand on these, we can advance in the faith. But if we don't have these six things, then we'll be back in that cycle of of the end of Hebrews chapter five, where 
where the author is saying, hey, you should be farther along, but you're not. And so we don't want to be caught in that cycle. How many believers in Jesus are caught in the cycle of immaturity and they don't advance and years go by, but they're stuck in the same place? That's a dangerous place to be. It's frustrating and it's difficult. And so we want to get past that. And how we get past that is by making sure that we can shore up these six foundational truths. So therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. Does this seem like elementary teachings to you? Or were some of those fairly complicated topics? An unfortunate reality is that the state of Christianity today, Western Christianity, I don't know much about Eastern Christianity, but uh, American Christianity, I should say, is it's a fairly immature time in the history of the church. Very kind of shallow understandings of things, and it's difficult to have uh, a lot of push. In fact, I found out recently You know, in the old days, you used to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. How many people remember the good old days of three times a week church? Now the average for the committed churchgoer is to show up for church 1.8 times a month. I probably shouldn't tell you that, but a little less than twice a month is your committed believers that are connected with that church. Not quite twice a month. Now that's an unfortunate reality because how much are we going to get done if we only show up half the time? You know, uh, that means if that's true for us here, which I don't necessarily think it is, that means that after real hope is gone, less than half of us have heard about it. It's presented Saturday night, Sunday at 9, Sunday at 10.30, and not quite half of us have heard. Takes a long time to communicate, takes a long time to get where we're going, if that's the case. And so as part of my hope is that here at Good Hope, we would be maturing believers, getting stronger, getting to the place that God has called us to be, because it's very frustrating being a weak Christian. We want to be strong. I tell you what, it's fun maturing. What did I say last week? When you submit your lives to Christ, your life gets better. Doesn't necessarily get easier, (laughs) but it gets better. You may have to discipline yourself. You may have to change things. You may have to struggle to apply the truths of the scripture, but your life will get better. It may not be easier, but it will get better. And that's part of the maturing process. God expects us to be growing and maturing over time. Now, we're also supposed to have faith like a little child, right? You heard the verses about that, that, you know, let's, let's just read Mark 10, 13 through 15. Mark 10, 13 through 15 says this, people were bringing little children to Jesus and having him touch them, but the disciples got mad at them and told them to quit. 
So Jesus is hugging the little people. He's down in kids' church, and he's like, oh, you're so awesome. And the disciples are like, let's get some important stuff done. Quit, quit bothering Jesus with the kids. Verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. You don't see Jesus described as indignant very often, but he was mad. He was like, well, you're not bringing the kids? You, you, you think you're bothering me too much by bringing the kids? Let's bring the kids. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And not only that, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So are we supposed to be mature or little children? Which is it? Both is the answer. Amen. So both is the answer. And here's how I like to describe that. We want to get to a place of mature idealism. Because when we first come to Christ, when we first start learning the things of God, it's like, man, it is so great. And you start to see the truths of God and you understand who you are in Christ. And there can be a naive idealism about how here's we're going to just go change the world and it's going to be awesome and we're going to, oh man, you know, the first, so I've planted two churches. This is the second one. And uh, the first one, we had a plan and it was simply this. We're going to pray. We are going to worship God. We're going to preach the word. People are going to get saved and we're going to work together and reach our community. That's the plan. Does that sound like a good plan? It was a terrible plan. It was a very immature plan. There's no bylaws in that plan. There's no liability insurance in that plan. There's no hierarchy structure of authority in that plan. There's, there's no policies and procedures in that plan. There's no board. There's, there's no budget. There's no, it's a terrible plan. Cause it was naive. Now, time went by. I learned some things. And I realized we've got to have policies and procedures. We've got to have bylaws and budgets. And we've got to be able to deal with all this stuff. And guess what you get to do after you have good bylaws and then you've got your financial life in order and you've got all the policies and procedures and you've got all that stuff taken care of. You know what you get to do after you've conquered all those irritating things? You get to pray, you get to worship God, you get to preach the word, you get to uh, see people get saved and work together and reach the community in the world, amen? But it has to be a mature understanding of how church works and how the church structure needs to be in order to be able to facilitate that or things will cut it out from underneath, you get infighting, you get all these problems, you run out of money, and it just gets to be a big, big issue. But once you conquer that and you come to a place of mature idealism, then you get to the place where God can really use you in a magnificent way. The problem I see is people go from a naive understanding of God, a naive faith, and then they get hit with the evil of this world. And instead of working to become mature and idealistic, instead people become jaded. Instead people become cynical. Instead, people think, well, yeah, you know, church people are just a pain and they argue with each other all the time. And all you get, you just got to keep smiling, you know, because they're never going to get it. And, and they get these negative perceptions. You ever seen the preachers like they got a smile painted on their face? How do you think they got that way? You know, good to see you, brother. How you doing? You know, and they got they've been through some stuff. 
They've had to paint a smile on their face, and it's an unfortunate reality. But here's the deal. If we slip into cynicism, if we become jaded, we're going to miss the beautiful thing of God because we have to be mature, but I believe we can be mature and idealistic at the same time, where we can have hopes and dreams about changing the world through adoption from foster care and realize that there's challenges and there's difficulties and have a mature idealism in it. I believe we can get there. If we get to that place of mature idealism, then we can have faith like a little child and be wise and be strong and be able to weather storms without having it crush our spirit. Mature idealism. And so we want to grab hold of these six things experience them to their fullness, and then we can reach mature idealism. So let's talk about repentance from acts that lead to death. That's the first one, repentance from acts that lead to death. Now, uh, it's no mistake that this is the first one on the list. Repentance from acts that lead to death. So that's in, what is it, 6 verse 1? Is Hebrews 6 1, can you throw that one up there? either verse 1 or verse 2. There it is. Look at that. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. So this is a foundation. That means other things are dependent on us getting this. The foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. This is the first one. Repentance from acts that lead to death. It's not a mistake that this is first. The message of John the Baptist was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist, I was listening to one of my favorite preachers on the radio, Chuck Swindoll, and he likes to call John, John the Baptizer. You know, John, uh, Chuck Swindoll's a Baptist, and he's like, well, if you call him John the Baptist, people might think he was a Baptist. You know, but <laughs> he's like, oh, that's why he calls him John the Baptizer. I had heard him say that before, and I thought, well, that's weird. I wonder why he does that. People get funny, and they use weird words. But uh, he was like, he wants to make sure that, you know, John was not a Baptist. John was a baptizer. So John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This was the message of John. When John was taken out, put in prison, and beheaded, Jesus continued preaching that message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It was a very important message. What was the purpose of that message? The purpose is Matthew 3, verse 3. This is, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Repentance from acts that lead to death is the thing that prepares the way for God to be able to do something. The people needed to repent. The nation of Israel needed to repent so that they could be in a place to not reject Jesus, but receive. It paved the way for God to do a mighty work, bring the Messiah, and bring us into the New Testament era. Repentance from acts that lead to death. And this is also true for us individually. The thing that paves the way for God to move in our lives is repentance. When we repent, God can influence us. When we stand in our pride, when we've got it all figured out, when we know what God should be doing, It's not going to have a whole lot of influence in our lives. 
But when we come to a place of repentance, that's when God has free reign in our, in our hearts to be able to change us. Repentance prepares the way for the Lord. So what is repentance? In the Greek, it's the word meta and the word consider or think about. It's to, it's to rise above and look at the situation with wisdom. And here's what I would give as the definition. Repentance is when you reevaluate yourself, your thoughts, your actions, your goals, your hopes and dreams, and you decide to completely go with God. It's when you reevaluate yourself and you decide, you know what? I've been running on my own long enough. I've seen the consequences of my pride enough. I've seen what I can do. I'm done. I'm just going with God. That's repentance. At some point, you have to say, I'm in to Jesus. When you say to him, I'm in, let's go, I'm with you. That's where the way is prepared for Jesus in your heart. Now, when I was a new believer, I grew up outside of the faith. I I wasn't a believer. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so I didn't know the jargon. I didn't know the scriptures. And I heard, uh, and so I decided after I got saved when I was 19, I thought, well, I'm going to do 10 years of just reading the Bible. I'm not going to study theology. I'm not going to learn what other people have to say. I'm just, you know, if I've got a clean slate, I'm going to fill it with the scriptures before I fill it with people's opinions so that then I don't have a colored perception of the scriptures. And so I thought, well, that's a good idea. I'll do 10 years. Then uh, I became a pastor when I was 31. And I heard people talking about the sinner's prayer. And I just hadn't come across it. And I was thinking, what is that? You know, I hear people talk about it. I keep looking through the scriptures. I'm not finding it. And then uh, finally, somebody explained it to me because, you know, I was embarrassed to ask. I don't know the answer. You know, you're already a pastor. Hey, what's the sinner's prayer, by the way? I'm not really sure what these people are talking about. You know, at some point, you just can't ask. You know, it's sort of like you've known somebody for three years. You forgot their name. You can't ask them their name again. Uh, It was just in that spot. You know, it was a bad place to be. And then uh, when I found out it was, you know, repent and follow me, I'm like, oh, (laughs) I've read about that all the time. I mean, that repent and follow me is in there. You know, the basic sinner's prayer, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Uh, You know, I've done wrong. Please forgive me through the blood of Christ and help me to walk with you the rest of my days and live my life for you. That's the sinner's prayer. It's repent and follow me. It's says step one from Hebrews chapter six. Repent and follow me. It's when you say, all right, I'm in. Now, this may or may not include emotional brokenness or a crisis moment. Controversial statement of the day. This may or may not include emotional brokenness and a crisis moment in your life. Now, In the book of Matthew, which was written by Matthew, one of the 12, Matthew records his testimony in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Are you ready for Matthew's testimony? It's one verse long. Here we go. 
Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus went from went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. That's Matthew's testimony. Matthew himself wrote that. The thing I picture, I'm sure there was more to it than this, is Matthew, he's there, he's probably heard some stuff about Jesus. Jesus comes by, he's like, hey, you want in? He's like, sure. And just goes. So he gets up and goes. He, he went all in. But it doesn't, he's not crying, as far as I can tell. He's not in a crisis moment. He's not hitting rock bottom. He's not emotionally broken. He's just like, yeah, you are who you say you are, aren't you? I can feel it. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going. I'm done with this tax collector stuff. I'm going with you. He followed him. That's repentance. Now, it can have a sense of emotional brokenness, like what we see in Acts chapter 2, where Peter is giving his presentation after the miracle at Pentecost, and he's telling them about Jesus and the power of God and what's going on, and that they were the ones that crucified the King of glory. And so Peter is giving this speech in chapter 2, starting in verse 36. We're picking it up at the end of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is that emotional brokenness. This is, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm wrong. Oh no. Oh no, I missed it. Oh no, I failed miserably. Oh no. We have succumbed to a mob mentality and killed the king of glory. Oh no. What shall we do? Here's what Peter had to say. Peter replied, repent. It's no surprise this is the first word. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I love that verse because it's for you, it's for your kids, it's for people who aren't here, it's for everybody for all time. It's for all of us. We can have that. You may be at a place where you're at rock bottom, you're emotionally broken. If you say, I'm in to Jesus, he'll take you. You may be just fine. I don't meet a whole lot of people like that, but you may be just fine. And if you say to Jesus, I'm in, he'll take you to. Repentance is just saying to Jesus, yeah, okay. I'm done with my plan. I'm done with my ideas. I'm going with you. It's considering it and deciding to follow Jesus. Now, the normal repentance There's a big repentance event in your life where you decide, yes, I'm with God. That might even be a season of repentance. And that is followed by many small repentance events and small repentance seasons. We can repent on a daily basis and say, yeah, Lord, I'm with you today. I'm with you today. I'm going to give you this day. Repentance is when you reevaluate yourself, your life, your thoughts, your actions, your hopes and dreams, and your goals, and you decide to completely go with God. 
It's the first foundational truth. Repentance from acts that lead to death. What are the acts that lead to death? Let me just give two things. First thing, various sins. Straightforward stuff. Murder, for example, leads to death. Not very complicated. Acts that lead to death. Various sins lead to death. We see the progression of sin as it grows over time leads to death, leads to destruction, leads to the enemy being able to steal, kill, and destroy. It usually takes time, but that is the the normal process when we think of acts that lead to death. It's the sins of the world. Repentance would solve that problem. Yeah, you know what? Yesterday was a bad day. Today, I'm going to just go with God. I'm going to do his things. One thing that I see that maybe isn't so obvious that people need to change, repent from, and go with God on is just loving the truth. Don't love being right. Love knowing the truth. Second thing, acts that lead to death. So, The first foundational truth is repentance from acts that lead to death. The second thing about acts that lead to death, it could be translated useless rituals. And so let me translate that for you. It's just living a pointless life. Yeah, we can be egregiously sinning. Sure. But maybe you're just living a pointless life. You're just not doing anything. Look at John 15, 1 and 2. We'll speed up here. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Your best case scenario is you're getting pruned. (laughs) Best case scenario. Come on, let let the pruning begin. (laughs) He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. There's work to be done. We are to repent from a pointless life, worthless rituals, meaningless religion, and just a life that doesn't do anything. Let's do something worth doing, amen? If we're here, let's do something worth doing. Let's live our lives in such a way as to do something worth doing. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a minute. One of the things that can be frustrating in life as a believer is when you want the benefits of the things of God without submitting to the plan of God. And it's a big mess when people want the benefits of repentance without actually repenting. If you're finding yourself very frustrated with God, I want to encourage you to start with repentance. To reevaluate yourself, to look at your life, look at your thoughts, look at your, your hopes and dreams, and say, you know what? I'm just going to go with God. I'm just going to go with him. I'm going to reorder my thoughts. I'm going to reorder my actions. I'm going to reorder the things that I dream about. And they're going to be God's plans.
God's thoughts, God's goals. My last point is that forgiveness follows repentance. This is a spiritual law. Forgiveness follows repentance. When I reevaluate my life and I think to myself, oh no. And I decide, you know what, I'm going with God. The promise of God, the spiritual law of the spirit of life is that forgiveness follows repentance. Jesus died on the cross so that when we repented, when we decided, yes, I'm in with you, Lord, that we would be made worthy for him to say, yes, come on in. Forgiveness follows repentance. Last verse, 2 Peter 3, 9, our closing verse. Have you ever waited on God for something and you just, they were waiting on Jesus' second coming back in Bible times. They're still waiting. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I think Jesus was ready to come back in that first generation. And, you know, the Father and the Son are up in heaven, and the the Spirit is moving among the people, and there's all these unreached people. There's all these people who have rejected God, and they're like, not today. Let's give them a little more time. And it's been 2,000 years, <laughs> and we're still there. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. My question for you is, is God waiting on you tonight? Are you one of those he's waiting for? To repent, to reevaluate yourself and say, you know what? I've not been in with God. I've not walked away, and went with Jesus. Let's pray. If that's you, tonight is your night to be all in. After we pray along those lines, I invite people to come up to the prayer teams. They're ready to pray for any need. You need a physical healing. You need a relationship restored. You need a financial miracle. You need a blessing of some kind. Just come get prayer. You need wisdom. Bless tonight. Either have another new little repentance, or let's have a big one that starts something glorious. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made a way for us to rise above ourselves, look at who we are, where we're at, what we're doing, and say, you know what? I'm going with God. You have made a way for us to repent, to turn to you. And when we do that, forgiveness flows. When we do that, you welcome us in. You forgive our sins and you bring us 
into your kingdom, citizens of heaven, and adopted into your family. If you need to make that decision here between you and God, you say, I'm in. You say, I'm in. If you need to reevaluate and just make an adjustment, make that adjustment. Let's trust God because he is good. Father, I thank you for your good plan. I thank you, Lord, that you are mighty and strong and just and powerful and you are kind-hearted and soft and merciful and patient. Thank you for your kindness. It leads us to repentance when we see how good you are. Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Father, I pray your peace would be upon us, whatever storm we're in. I pray, Lord, that we would have an unshakable joy within us as we know who we are in you. And Lord, that we would know your love to the fullness so that we can share your love with others. Lord, bless us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.